Shivain, they cried. Shivain will return to us and all this suffering will end. Shivain with his silver sword and gleaming mail. Shivain with his lion eyes and quick limbs. Shivain on his white horse strung with chains of gold and jewels. Shivain, bane of invaders. Shivain, from Worlds Beyond Worlds by John R. Fultz. Yeah, uh, hello and uh, welcome from Boston. Here's another uh, episode of uh, Rogues in the House. Uh, you know, we figured we'd get here today, park our car, hang out, drink a few Sam Adams, and uh, <laughs> talk a little sword and sorcery, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> the whole the whole idea here is to see if I can get Matt to crack up for a few hours, and uh, you know, he's going he's gonna to listen to this for a little bit. What are you doing? Introduce the show here. Oh, all right, all right, all right. I, I hear you. That's wicked cool, man. Uh, so, <laughs> I know I got him good on that one. Uh, hello and welcome uh, to another episode of Rogues in the House. Uh, we actually have a pretty cool uh, show set up for you. Sorry, we, I think we missed a month, um, but we're not perfect. I mostly blame Matt and a little bit of Logan, and I take none of the blame myself. Um, today we have a super cool special guest, John Fultz. Uh, we will introduce him in just a moment, but let's just get our usual co-host introductions. Mr. Logan, how are you doing? Oh, I'm alive. I'm alive, Alex, and I don't know if that's good or bad, but I am alive. That is a thing. And we're that happy, is a thing that exists. And we're happy to have that thing. <laughs> Matthew, how is it up in the frozen north? Well, it's actually pretty nice. Quite tropical, actually. Uh, spring has sprung, it seems, and well, technically it has. And uh, I got to tell you, it was an easy winter. And those those frozen North Canadian jokes are going to have to uh, they're going to have to thaw out, okay? Because it's getting too nice here, and the uh, climate change, which does exist uh, according to the consensus, um, so that, is really working. In, it's it's playing in my favor. Is that a Chill out. Chill out. Chill Dick out. <laughs> That's okay. I think yeah. I talked right over it. Um, yeah, okay, hey, Logan, you want to do the honors of our guest, and then we can uh, we can hit the put the rubber to the road. Sure. Um, we have today. That was me clapping. Like you, no one can see me, but like I'm talking with my hands. He was That's really excited. Was. He was super. Yeah. Little enthusiasm clap, right? <laughs> Little G willikers. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Uh. So we have with us today um, author John R. Fultz. Um, some of you, I'm sure, have actually seen um, his work and read his work before um, because he, he's got quite a few short stories and some novels that he's here to tell us about. So, John, why don't you, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, tell us a little bit about your work before we get started. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's really an honor to be here. This is awesome. Uh, and Rogues in the House is one of my favorite stories, so great title. <laughs> nice. Very we good. We did not write it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I've been, I've been writing, um, I write primarily novels, but um, I just recently retired from writing short stories, so I wanted to put out a collection uh, that would, you know, kind of you know, kind of represent the best of what I did over the last 10 years. And I want to focus on novels from now on. I already have about five novels out there. Uh, a trilogy followed by a duology. And 
there's a couple others that haven't been published in. I'm starting a new one this year, as you know, but I've decided that at the age of 51, I've written enough short stories and I want to focus on novels. And so that's, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Sure. And that's actually a conversation Matt and I have had before. Like when, like we kind of waver, like I have one novel that I self publish and Matt's been working on a collection um, but how both of us kind of, you know, have that discussion every once in a while, too. Um, but the stories here that we're talking about, um, you've appeared in a weird book. Um, Love weird book, yeah. Yeah, and you, you're in uh, Skelos number three, which I actually, I think Matt and I both kickstarted Skelos. Is that correct? Yeah, I was in Skelos one, actually. I had a kind yeah, of, piece of cra- piece of crap story in there that now makes me go, ugh. <laughs> I got to meet those guys behind Skelos at the San Antonio World Fantasy Convention when number three, issue three, came out. Yeah, they're all good dudes. I've only met them virtually, but I've I've had conversations with all of them. They're yeah, good, you know, stalwarts of the Howard community for sure. Yeah, and that magazine it doesn't come out very often, but it's so cool because it's a combination of cool fiction and cool nonfiction, which you don't yeah. find that often yeah. these days. Yeah, it's an awesome mag. It, it pretty much has everything except for, you know, RPG stats or something, right? Right. <laughs> that would be like I, catch-all. Yeah, but I, I do, uh, yeah, I love the approach for sure. Awesome. Um, so, as we all know, we typically start out with um, our Bazaar of the Bazaar. Um, where we each kind of share something that kind of catches our eye in the uh, genre or genre adjacent. Um, I'm sure Matt has a lot to talk about. I d- <laughs> well, right? well, I'm, I'm, no? I'm like I'm like a parody of myself at this point because like, <laughs> he always has a lot to say. But why would you, do, why would you have thought that he had something uh, more than usual? That's fair. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why he thinks that, but I've been in like. Uh, What's the term? Uh, rested development, uh, you know, like stuck in neutral sort of. Um, in regards, I've just I've been so busy on the projects and like real life that <laughs> my bizarre picks would be, you know, like Ghost of Shushima, which I'm still playing. You know, okay, oh, nice. And, still uh, doing that. <laughs> yeah, still doing that. Uh, I really most of my free time has been dedicated to Terminator stuff. Yeah. So I've been reading a lot of the. The Dark Horse comics. Um, How's that project coming? It man, it's it's doing really well. So, for you know, RPG uh, Kickstarter projects don't tend to fund to the same extent as your board games, your, your board game blockbusters, right? Um, but this is at like over a thousand percent of its funding goal. Jeez, that was, that was you, Logan. Yeah, that uh, was the truck now outside. Sorry. <laughs> The third grade uh, yeah. reading level truck. Uh, um, so, that was a, that was an allusion to our prior conversation. Sorry. Uh, oh, no, but the uh, the Terminator uh, Kickstarter project by Nightfall Games is doing well. By the time this episode airs, it will have ended, but I'm sure they'll do a pledge manager. So, if you like uh, medium to low crunch RPGs and you like the Terminator. Um, check that out. I'm doing some work on it, writing some missions. Uh, it's been fun playing in that sandbox. I don't want to take too much time other than I'm just super excited and 
the license involves the first film and all of the Dark Horse The Terminator comics. And, like, sometimes when you read older comics, they don't age well, right? Right. Some, sometimes the old material is just a little, I don't know, it's antiquated. But, like, these hold up, like, really well. I've been I've been kind of nerding out on them, and um, I don't know. I'm really digging it, so. Nice. Cool. That's what I've been doing, just Matt projects, and have not had a lot of time to dig into everything so well the tower of the board or tower of the board game tower, tower of the, of the board game. game which you are like tangential tangentially related oh to, yeah 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 out. i did it well. yeah yeah that's shipping now it seems to be um uh like it was on time well produced um which is just like you know that's kind of rare in the kickstarter board game yeah, yeah. Uh, world yeah i wrote a a crossover scenario for the monolith game uh cabinet just got in touch with me and they're sending me out a copy so i'll be able to dig in you're living my favorite sorry my favorite like living, sorry we're so talking we're we're out of we're out of touch here logan we're talking over each other that's that's you know <laughs> oh, sorry. practice no i just wanted to say that yeah. you're living my my best life so thank you <laughs> Yeah. Thank you for that. I think I me. Think, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it's yeah. It's RPG fun. It's writer just, uh, extraordinaire. I love it. Yeah, but you know, there's the curse, right? Because you you have it all. Uh, you you get stuff for free. You get to produce it. You're like your name's on. You're like this is awesome, and you have no time yeah, for. You never can play things, it, right? Never can yeah, play. You don't it. get to. <laughs> you get to write it, and uh, yeah. But no, I, I wouldn't trade it. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was going to say my favorite review was yeah. that. Um, Tower of the Elephant was well packaged, like economically packaged, that they didn't expect that the board game was going to be packed so well in the box, but it was. Yeah, because uh, like it's that tower that stacks, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's not round, like, Logan. Right, it's not round, which is not canon. It's yeah. not- <laughs> the pedants, the pedants did a- not appreciate that, and then you had to explain yeah. to them that a modular <laughs> tower of circular cardboard <laughs> just is not going to work very well. Yeah. I mean, maybe. So, yeah. Logan, know. what about you? Um, what do you got going yeah. on in the bazaar? So, um, well, I was really, my, my adjacent thing, I guess, was that everyone knows, I think, that Godzilla verse. Oh, yeah. King Kong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yo, Max. They haven't seen Rectify. Um, I am a huge monster movie fan. And I'm mm. super psyched for it. Um, I've avoided all the spoilers I wanted to avoid, but I've also found the spoilers that I wanted to know. So I'm 100% positive that I'm going to enjoy the movie. And I'm good with that. That's great. So, is it I'm out, one of the, is it out I'm like a viewer. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, you can stream it on HBO Max, which we, we have. Um, which is weird to me. Like, I don't know how HBO Max makes money for a studio. It doesn't have ads. I I know that HBO and Warner Brothers or whoever is like tied up together, but I don't know how that makes I, money. I, I think they just like straight up pay people. They're like, "We'll buy yeah. your movie." I mean, I don't know how else would that work. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't know. It boggles my mind. It's fascinating. Interestingly, sorry, John. Go sorry, ahead. the guest is speaking. It's the power of subscription. That, that's yeah. what I. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. 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 Disney um, is killing it with that too right now. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I I love Falcon and Winter Soldier. I liked WandaVision very much, but I like it's not quite in my wheelhouse. 
But Falcon and Winter Soldier is like hitting all the pistons for me. Yeah, it's um, back to normal. Yeah. Yeah, I I uh I only watched the first ep and then I decided to save the second to build up for tomorrow's ep, so I'll watch them in a row. But yeah, sure. WandaVision really um I it kind of defied expectations in a lot of ways. Very nice uh what do you call it? You know, layers of an onion. Yeah. But just solid, just really the thing is that studio just keeps pulling out these interesting performances and right when it's about to get super stale, they try something new. And, you know, if it doesn't knock your socks off, it still always kind of works, mm-hmm. which is just damn mm-hmm. impressive, man. They're yeah. solid, solid delivery every time. Yeah, yeah. I'm one of the world's biggest vision nerds. I'm a nerd fan from the 70s. It's nice. Oh, wow. yeah. It's always been one of my favorites. From third grade, I remember going, who's that guy with the red skin and the goofy green and yellow costume? Yeah. And I was, I loved it. I mean, I mean, the first few eps, I was like, come on, get on with it. What's going on here? What's the yeah. gap? But then by the time the last two episodes hit, I was like, that's exactly what I was hoping to see. Mm. So action and character development, and now they're both off on their own adventures. And you know there's going to be more cool stuff coming with both characters. Mm -hmm. I sure hope so. And there was just some really (laughs) poignant moments in that show. Really? Things that just landed. Um, Like there's a lot about uh, grief being a form of world that doesn't go away. I was like, that got me right in the feels. Man. Yeah, <laughs> it was just so uh, succinct, and I don't know, man. Yeah, that that one really hit. And plain old good writing. Yeah. You know? yeah, exactly. Um, minimal but straight to the point. Um, I just wanted to mention because I've never mentioned this on record before. Like the makeup effects on Vision, I think they're so good. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like. Uh, that you could see them CGing a character like that, but you don't you don't see any of the seams, and you just I, I don't know for whatever reason I really like that makeup. Looked perfect too, you know. Yeah, an alternate take, which they have this tradition of slightly redesigning him every few years, mm-hmm. so they'll probably keep up with that, you know. Agreed. So, yeah. Um, speaking of studios, um, this is just like a random thing that I thought was really weird and kind of like perfect timing. Um, I was listening to NPR on a, on a way on the way home actually two days ago, right? And they were doing a interview with a Bulgarian movie studio talking about their COVID procedures, okay? Because mm-hmm. it's like a major money maker for Bulgaria, and yeah, there's a lot of fame shit there. Yeah. Um, uh, in the studio, I guess they do a lot of Sylvester Stallone movies, like um, the last Last Blood was partially filmed there. But at the very, very end, the 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 lady that was doing the story said that there's currently three movies in line, and the second one in line was Red Sonia. Uh, hmm. Oh, interesting. Long rumor. Yeah. To- but yeah. they, they have heard a director it here first. The, or do they have a director? I know they have a writer. I don't know. It said yeah. it, he, she just said that you know, there's three current movies on like the like next up and the second one she mentioned, I didn't know the other two, but Red Sonia is out, obviously. So this could be a really cool movie or it could be a total piece of crap. I mean it could yeah. go <laughs> Yes. No way, no way in hell of knowing which I remember when Rose McGowan was lobbying to play the character, she would have been awesome. I mean, this chick had a machine gun for a leg. In <laughs> I mean, no, she could have 
play Red Sonia, you know. But all that political Hollywood BS gets in the way, you know. Yeah, and I think Robert Rodriguez would have been a cool filmmaker for that too. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, he's he's kind of hit and miss for me, but I think he would have brought a really cool pulpy comic book. He's always with, fun, you know, with some good action. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for a while there, he was doing a real uh, a live action remake of Fire and Ice. But yeah, I know. Out because it never happened. I guess he got yeah. actual money making projects instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but man, I would have loved to have seen that. Sure, yeah. I love that movie. Is amazing. Good old Necron. <laughs> Son of Necron, you know. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm friends with Sarah Frazetta on Facebook. One of like millions of people she knows, I'm sure. Yeah. And I'm telling her like, we got to do the next Fire and Ice comic. You know, I'll write it. You know, I'll do it for free. I'm weakening her. I'm weakening. I'm wearing her down. One of these days, days <laughs> it'll never happen. Yeah, <laughs> nice and a half. It'd be great. I mean, wouldn't you read a good, a well-done comic set in the universe of Fire and Ice? Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've anybody, often said that yeah. that would be uh, that would be an ideal um, RPG setting too, because I don't, it would. Cause I mean, there, there's not much there. Like you know, it's just a very, very direct storyline, sort of like at the end of that timeline but you could use the the height of the whole the whole period where necrons you know rule and what you know whatever you want to say a lot there a lot there to take the floor yeah, the now, now that george R. R. martin did song of ice and fire younger generations would think oh they're ripping off george R. R. martin not yeah. knowing it's actually the <laughs> right he was probably inspired by the movie yep you know so who do we got? Anyway, we did um, uh, our bizarre of the bizarre, Logan. That was you, yeah. You're you're a yeah. That was me. Kong vs. Godzilla. Who who's your, who are you yeah. picking? Who are you picking to win? I uh, I love dinosaurs. I gotta go Godzilla. Yeah, me too. Like I, I I like Kong. I love Skull Island. Right, they're good movies, but Godzilla dinosaurs all the time. Yep, all day every day. Giant ape always. <laughs> like every time Superman fought Batman, they're gonna team up. And fight something worse. Something worse, you know? yeah. You might be right. Yeah. You might be right. Yeah. If, you're, be if you're picking, though, John, who are you picking? If I'm picking, I would have to, just on sheer battle capability, probably Godzilla because, of, you know, the flame breath. Yep. Uh, All right. Three to one, you know? Matt. Three to one, Godzilla. <laughs> three, three people can be wrong. That's fine. <laughs> That's true. I mean, he, <laughs> pull it out. I mean, Conan yeah. beat all kinds of fire-breathing creatures. <laughs> yeah. 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 See, John, Kong is like the Conan in that situation. He's gonna, you know, John. Do you strangle have a, somebody? Do you have a bizarre the bizarre pick? Anything adjacent? First of all, do do you recognize the name Bizarre the Bizarre? Yeah, from uh, Lankmar. Right? There you go. Yeah. Yep, nailed yeah, it. Yeah. Nailed it. That's a that's that an was OG. A test. Yeah, that was an OG right there. Uh, I'm so looking forward to the new stories of Lankmar that Nathan. Uh, gosh, what's the name? my friend Nathan's. Uh, I can't remember. I know what you're talking about. Anyway, they got the license to do some new Fafford and Grey Mauser tales, and they're going to start doing that at Magician's Skull. But anyway, that's one thing I'm kind of excited about. But I think you're asking about, like, lately what's been entering my radar as far as um, culture. Well, I have to talk about this movie I saw the other night called Crazy Samurai 400 Versus One. It's a brand new movie. I've heard of that, yeah. It was made like a year or two ago. I've been waiting a year for it. For it. I heard about it on BlackGate.com first. Somebody saw it at a film festival. 
but and that was before we could get it here in the U.S. So it finally came. You know, I watched it the night night before last. Amazing movie because it's a, it's one of those Musashi. You know, Miyamoto Musashi is one of the great heroes of Japan and arguably maybe the best sword fighter who ever lived. Anyway, um, this is one of the legends where he slaughtered an entire clan. And I'm pretty sure that's an actual legend. That, that mm. he, This is where you see him slaughter the entire clan. It's a 90-minute movie, but the majority of it is one 77-minute one-take battle between him and 400 samurai. Bears you out from watching it. It's like being on a roller coaster, and you know how you love it when you're on a roller coaster, but you're almost like, "How much longer is this gonna go on?" You know, mm. because it puts a, it's, it's like a strain on you. But most of the time, you're you're floating right behind his shoulders as he's taking out taking out these guys, and the camera weaves in and out, and it goes out, and and it's just really hard to explain. And not everybody will be able to sit through the whole movie because it will be a, a bit of a challenge. But for me, I thought. <laughs> pretty exhilarating and the main character um the main guy his name is tack something they're saying that he's like going to be the new martial arts superstar because just the sheer ability to do that mm -hmm. you know and make it look real for 77 mm -hmm. i mean there are lulls in the battle but it's still just one battle you know and, and you said one take the the main fight is is one 77 minute take wow and he keeps wondering how many of these fuckers are there, right? You know, and yeah. at a certain point between waves, he decides I'm going to kill them all. You know, and it's, it's like I don't want to spoil it for you, but at the end of it, there's a big question as to why did you destroy the, that whole clan? You know, and, and uh, Musashi was quite a strange character, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, personally. So I was kind of into it also because I had read the book of the book of the Five Rings. I have his book. Well. Yeah, a few, few years back, before I wrote my latest novel, actually, I was kind of looking for some other non-medieval type elements, you know, inspiring me. My cousin gave me a copy of this book, and I was like, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. An actual book written by an actual swordsman about what it was like to be the kick-ass swordsman. Anyway, mm. Crazy Samurai, when it was released um, back east, it was called Crazy Samurai Musashi. But, and, you know, in America, nobody really knows Musashi except the aficionados, so they just called it Crazy Samurai 400 versus 1. And it's on Prime, Amazon Prime now for, for rent, so pretty crazy i would say that's my that point. sounds awesome i love actually. it actually yeah that's in, that true. is in my wheelhouse for sure yeah we'll give me uh, a headache too because so many times you know there's so much tension and he just goes up and whoosh, whacks somebody in the head and he does the, he's got so many different moves and you get to see them over and over and there's mm -hmm. one hole popper where somebody just waits a sec, fraction of a second too long and he just goes whoosh, and just cracks their skull open <laughs> and he does it again it's like I don't know. It's really hard to describe. It's like watching a bunch of guys try to beat up a tiger. It's kind of. I love you know it. What I mean? for, That's rad. For those of you listening, there was a heck of a lot of sword movement that was happening visually for us, which was very entertaining as well to watch. John was John was swinging the uh, the invisible sword around. So I wish that you all could have seen that, but it was very entertaining. <laughs> I can just imagine them putting the sound effects in this movie as That's they true. scroll as the seven minute fight. Oh yeah. Every little clink of metal and every little head pop sound and every little gut wound oh, and everything. You know, I know. I know it. Very cool. That's what I just yeah. had to share. No, that's awesome. That's check a great, that out. That's, that's a great pick. That's a good recommendation. I was watching it and going, oh, I wish I made this. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, should we, I mean, let's get into the meat of this. We got a whole yeah, array yeah. of questions to fire off. 
And Logan, Logan, you wrote well, you you wrote the big outline, so you should be the one sure, to, sure. to navigate us, and we'll just kind of yeah chip in as we can. You got it. Well, awesome. So the big reason John is here, he actually reached out to us because he has a new collection of short stories that have been previously published in a variety of locations. Hooray! Um, it is called Worlds Beyond Worlds, which is a title I really dig. Um, and I guess I want to let him tell us about it um, so he can give his like elevator pitch so everyone is aware of this. Uh, thank you very much. This is Arnold. Buy the book. It's amazing. Okay, I won't do that again. That's pretty horrible. <laughs> Anyway, I love doing bad imitations because they make you laugh more than good imitations. <laughs> Asking and thanks for your comments about the title. I take forever coming up with titles for books because it has to be perfect. You know, it's a book. It's going to be out there. You know, basically forever. And the thing about this collection of stories, it's eleven stories that appeared in nine different venues, nine different magazines or anthologies. You know, and um. Each story is set in a different world or universe, if you, if you will. And except for there's like two stories that are actually set in the same world, but in different parts of it. So really there's like 11 stories, nine different worlds or something, something like that. But it's all about the ability to, when you do a short story as a fantasy writer, you have to create a whole new world for every story. Unless you want to keep mining the same vein, which is also can be fun to do. So in my first story collection that came out, Back in 2013, it was all my Zang stories. It's called Revelation, Revelations of Zang. And this was a series that was born in Weird Tales, moved over to Black Gate, and then finished up in this self-published. There were like six published and six unpublished Zang tales that are in that book. And so and this this was my first non-themed, non-interrelated collection. So these stories are all independent, even though two of them do occur in the same world. You really don't even need to know that, you know. It's like it's like creating eleven different stories set in eleven different imaginary worlds, and those are, that's my favorite kind of fantasy, the kind that involves a whole different world, a transport away to the Hyborian Age, um, Zothique, um, you know, Middle Earth, well, that kind of stuff. Secondary world fantasy is what they used to call it. I don't think they call it that anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's where the world, worlds beyond worlds came from. Uh, no, I that's awesome. Say, yeah, I just oh, want to say ahead, with you. Well, on the secondary worlds thing, uh, I, I've mentioned before. Like, I'm kind of in fantasy only interested in that. If it's an urban fantasy element, or if it's like set in our world, like if it's set in our, if if it's alternate history with fantasy flourishes, I'm cool with that. Or even historical fiction. But if it's like, oh, it's the streets of London in the 1800s, and suddenly everyone has steam power, and there are elves like. <laughs> Or he man shoot me. Or he man coming to modern day. He he man coming to modern yeah, day. Yeah, like ah, <laughs> uh, kills me. Uh, John, I just wanted to ask you. You said you. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say I've always preferred fantasy that's in its own world and doesn't mix with ours. Yeah. Always. Yep. Yeah. No, me too. Exactly. Like that's why, even if Harry Potter wasn't written for kids and read by adults <laughs> who should be embarrassed of themselves. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, Harry Potter do it. Hate, the Harry Potter um, hate has been since day one of this podcast. No, it, it's a litmus <laughs> test for this show. If you're big on Harry Potter, you're not going to like this show. You know, we do our, come on, we're over here, we're doing uh, California impersonations here. No, wait, uh, Arnold impersonations here. Uh, we like to just 
Gondom we like the sorcery. <laughs> yes, we like it in the second world and all of these things. Uh, John, you said you you started a set of tales in uh, Weird Tales. Like, which incarnation of Weird Tales were you doing that? I won't bore you with my long, sad Weird Tales story. Let me just say that I've, I've always loved the magazine of Weird Tales. And when I was mm-hmm. in college in the late 80s, that was when the Terminus edition was really firing on all cylinders. Daryl Schweitzer, George Skithers, and um, right. John Bettencourt. And that's that's still my favorite era because I was in college and the world was ex- opening up to me, man. I did a lot of acid. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Besides all of the usual college mind openings, I had weird tales at this time. And I had uh. several awesome book- used bookstores and several awesome comic stores. So I got to really flourish in my geekery, you know, and study my craft, the writing. I was taking writing courses. And um, I kind of lost my... What was the point there? What was I headed for? Uh, headed? You're talking about weird tales in college when you're doing acid and reading it. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, two different, two different things. So in college, I would write stories in, in creative writing, and I would send them off to weird tales, and they wouldn't get published because I was just a kid. I didn't know what the hell I was doing yet, you know? But I got to workshop them in class, and that was fun. And then from Weird Tales, I would, I would always get these amazing rejections from Daryl Schweitzer, who said, here's what you did wrong, here's what to work on. you know. And, mm. and over a period of years, I would get several of these letters, and he was always so encouraging. And this wouldn't have mattered to me at all. But I was such a fan of his work as a writer. I mean, he wrote the kind of work that I wanted to write, mm. you know, long-term-wise. You know? He writes Sword and Sorcery. The, to be fair, he writes a lot of different things, but one of the things he writes that I like really well is sword and sorcery, but with with some kind of a metaphysical element. Like it's a it's a it's a leveled up version of sword and sorcery. Trippy, a, right? Yeah, it's not just um, you know guy goes fights a monster to get treasure. You know, there's mm-hmm. more like metaphysical type philosophical aspects to it. But basically, it's sword and sorcery. I just consider it a modern version of sword and sorcery. Um, and Daryl always says, is it Sword and Sorcery? I don't know. And I am feel the same way about my work. I don't really like to label it. But because I loved his writing so much, and uh, the, his, his feedback to me meant a lot. So I worked on my writing. And for about the next 15 years or so, I would every now and then I would send in a story and get another rejection. So back in cut to 2004, I finally wrote a story that I knew. I just knew when I wrote the story because I, I read... <laughs> I could go down this rabbit hole, guys. But I read Fafford and the Great Mauser for the first time. I had never, I had never got into that, even though I'd grown up on Conan and John Carter and all the other stuff, Lord of the Rings. But I read um, Fafford and the Great Mauser, and it something clicked, and I finally understood what was missing from my fiction. And I th- the way the best the way I can express it is a reality, a sense of realism to my characters was missing mm. because I felt like even though Fafford was this awesome barbarian swordsman thief guy, and even mm. though Mauser was this magical thief, you know, adventurer rogue. They were still just human beings with human being personalities. And they had trouble with girlfriends and alcoholism. And one of them liked to date ghouls, and that got him a lot of shit. <laughs> so they were they were just lovable characters that happened to and I thought, somehow this connected to my mind. I've got to make my characters that real. Yeah. And I and I had a story that I knew that did it. And I said, This is gonna be the one after fifteen years. And it, finally, it was. I cut to a year later. It was my first acceptance as a pro story for Weird Tales. Now, come to find out, it would take a year for it to see see print, and it would be one of the last issues that that version of Weird Tales did. 
uh, Daryl and George only did a few more issues after that. I think uh, 340. Or it might have been 341. I think it was 340. The, the uh, Persecution of Artifice the Quill was the name of the story. So mm -hmm. that, that appeared there and inspired me so greatly because that, would, that had been my goal for 15 years, just to get published, not anywhere, but in Weird Tales. So I ended up writing about 12 tales set in the same universe. And like I said, half of them ended up getting published and half of them went into the eventual collection of the book. So now I've got this new collection, which only has like two, two stories from the Zang universe in it. And the rest of them are, you know, other universes. So sorry about the really long answer there, but no, 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 it's cool. It's cool I was actually, hear. When the inevitable John R. Foltz biopic comes out, I can already picture the montage of you growing and writing and receiving these rejection letters <laughs> until finally the day comes where you triumph. I'm just um, thrilled that it was uh, Fawford and the Grey Mouser that was kind of the, the, the catalyst for you. Like that's that's cool. They don't get enough play on this on this podcast, so it's nice to give yeah. them a little love. I'm so, so glad I didn't discover them when I was a kid because it wouldn't have had the same impact right. on me as a writer. Sure. You know what I mean? But, but um, it, it hit me at just the right time when I needed a missing ingredient. Yeah. Something, it, opened, it was the thing that opened your eye at the time you needed it. It was the human element, and it was right in front of my eyes the whole time. Anyway. Yeah, I, I, that's, uh, that's very interesting to me. Um, we've talked before about that sort of... For me, some, that's an element that... Um, is sort of, I don't want to say that has to be in Sword and Sorcery, right? It doesn't have to be necessarily about realism of character. I mean, some of the draw for me is to like, they're larger than life and yeah. they're impressive and they're just super cool, you know, characters. But for, for it to endure for me and to maintain my interest or for me to want to write it, I have to have that too. Um, and, and so I, I found that same thing with... Um, with Liber stuff, um, and also kind of recently, right? Mm -hmm. um, back when we were doing an episode on that, I'd read a little bit yeah. years before, but really the connection between those two characters and the interplay and the conversations they had um, and the sort of jams they got into, the very human piece, mm -hmm. they're not indomitable uh, Conan types. That's just they're it, just right? Kind they're just dudes hacking their way through it and That's facing just a, regular they're, problems. They're they're relatable to Conan's uh, sort of like apex male, yeah. right? Like he's he's what everyone wants to be, you know, quote unquote, yeah. right? And you know, Fafford and the Grand Master, like, they fall into things a little bit. Yeah, Fafford is kind of like Conan's red-haired cousin, but in the first Fafford story, doesn't he strap on rocket skis? Yeah, and like he's over. yes, I mean it, it's and like, he's arty. He's he's a little arty, right? He's he's, he's a little goofball. Stuff. Yeah, he's a little he's a goofball. Yeah, yeah. The funny Conan, the drunk. He's kind of yes. like the Conan. Conan was never able to let his guard down long enough to be Fafford. Fafford would get shit faced and make a fool out of himself, you know, in a heartbeat, you know. Yeah. And it, they were drinking buddies, and that that was one of the appeals, I think, is their their friendship. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. one of the great yeah, duos. exactly. Cool. Oh yeah. The the, the older like... the older I get, the the more I don't want anyone like Conan. I just want Conan. And I don't other writers can come in and they can write Conan, but I don't want anyone aping that. I'm over it. Yeah, Frankly, and also kind of to, where I'm at. to your credit, so many people have their own idea of what Conan is. So you yeah. could like they did in the 
you can have a dozen different writers doing Conan novels, and you're going to get a dozen different versions mm -hmm. of Conan. My favorite from those, by the way, was John Maddox Roberts. He did. A yeah, he was good. Oh yeah, yeah and uh, my John favorite King, of Lotus was great. But some, there were some of those that I read in high school. Was like this guy sucks. I could do better than this, you know. And, <laughs> exactly. You know, you know it sucks. And some people love the ones I hated. So they were yeah, they yeah. were covering a lot of ground, you know, as they should. But can you believe that there were so many Conan novels out in the nineties? Right, it's like I a mean, thousand. The creators <laughs> mm -hmm. for sixty years, and and now you can get a single Conan novel out. I hear Amazon is making a show, which I'm amazed. Yeah, at, and I wonder. I hope it's good because maybe they'll do some fiction. You know, some it's Netflix show. now. It's changed. Yeah. Oh, my Amazon taps on the contract, and now Netflix picked it up. Yeah. So. Well, well if they can the, do The Witcher. <laughs> well, exactly. Witcher. If if the that that's you know the argument's always that oh Netflix will neuter it and make it SJW and it's like well did you watch The Witcher because like. <laughs> Uh, it's not. <laughs> I feel like if you can do that, you can do Conan. All you have to do to know yeah. that Netflix can do this is watch The Last Kingdom. Exactly. Uh, Netflix's Last Kingdom. They did that yeah. amazingly. You know, yeah. Utrecht is kind of a Conan from history. He's kind of a historical He's, Conan. He so. strangles a woman in the water and drowns her. Conan doesn't do that. <laughs> right? Like, so if, if you're looking for extreme a, content. He was one of those blooded Danes. He was right, right. But, women in Yeah, exactly. But he's your, but he's your, yeah, and he's your, he's your point of view character, right? He's your hero. Who did yeah. some bad shit, you know? They were reavers. They were raiders. You yeah. know, pirates aren't supposed to be heroes either. But you no. know, generations have forgotten that ever since Disney made movies, kids love to be pirates. There's a great episode of South Park where they go to Somali and they become Somali pirates. Oh, yes. That's and a great one. What they expected at all. Yep. <laughs> Got to put a tangent there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Keep the questions yeah. firing. Get back to your outline, Logan. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, your, your book, your, your collection of short stories here, Worlds Beyond Worlds, is being published through DMR, correct? <clears throat> The great okay. new so, yeah. sword and sorcery publisher. They they've been doing like I don't read as much sword and sorcery as I probably should to be a host on this show, um, but I have read some stuff from them. Like, but it's a substantial amount of uh, of stuff they've been putting at or putting out lately. Um, I'm on the Whetstone Discord, and a lot of guys pick up stuff left and right. How did your relationship with DMR, like, how did that come to, together? Well, Dave has been a contributor to Blackgate, and mm -hmm. I've been, I used to blog there for years, and then he's done, he's done a lot of posts there. But basically, I saw his announcement a couple back, two or three years ago, that he was starting this company. And I just thought, oh, there goes another, here comes another company. And I see this all the time. Companies come out of nowhere, and then they disappear. And I thought, let's see how this one does. And a year later, Dave was doing great. And he was publishing books that were making people stand up and take notice. And I said, you know, I've been looking for someone to do this story collection, this 10-year retrospective thing of mine. So just let me just reach out to him. And um, he had just done the the Eye of... Uh, Sonu? Sonu, yeah. And yeah. that got my attention. And then I heard he was publishing a Tanith Lee collection. And mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm a huge Tanith Lee disciple. 
And so I said, anybody who publishes Tannically is good enough to punish me. So uh, publish, not punish. Sorry. <laughs> that's, a is... that's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and that collection has lots of cool stories in it that a lot of people have failed to reprint over the years. Um, I mean, Dave did pick some of the stories that you always see with Tanith, with Tanith Lee, but he also picked a lot of stories that people just didn't reprint for some reason. So that book's a great, great one. So then I said, hey, what do you think? W would you be interested in this? And he said, let me read the stories. He had, he, it's funny because he had only read a, we a web comic that I had done at the time, Skulls, which ran at Blackgate like several years ago. But, um, but he knew who I was from Blackgate. So he said, I like the stories. I like, I like all these stories. Let's, let's do it. So nice. um, it turned out really well. And the, the best thing about it was he's getting these amazing covers from Brian LeBlanc. And that was one of the things that attracted me because every time they put a book, even if it's not a Brian LeBlanc piece of art, it looks really cool. They have such a cool eye for design. And it's kind of like the new hot press as far as sword and sorcery goes. Definitely. Now, are these stories sword and sorcery? I, I don't think all of them are straight sword and sorcery. And it depends on who you ask, because some people will argue a very narrow definition of sword and sorcery, and other people will argue a broader definition. But I think they all have the, that kind of flavor to them. So that's why Dave, there were a couple other stories that Dave and I decided not to include, because they didn't have that that SNS flavor to them. So I've basically cherry-picked 10 years of my best sword and sorcery. And I have a whole other collection I'm waiting to do of just horror stories that were published during the same you know time period. But that that's a whole other thing. So yeah, I think I answered your question. Yeah, yeah, no, that's cool. Um, I, I tip so like through my own blog, I I do a review of Whetstone magazine every time they have a new one come out, and uh, my my blog reviews have posted been posted on DMR a couple times. So that's like a that's a big accomplishment for me. But um, uh, yeah. So I know you said Fafford and the Gray Mouser. Um, so I'm assuming Liber is a big favorite of yours. Um, I guess, of, was like, a, go ahead. Uh, growing up, he was not one of my favorites growing up, but he's somebody I came to, it was about 2000. It was right around the year 2000, 2001. So I was just turning 30. So really, I'm a late boomer when it comes to the Fafford and the Grey Mauser. But I grew up mainly, my two biggest probably earliest, most substantial influences were Robert E. Howard and, and J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, okay. I was reading Tolkien before anything else. And then Conan Comics and Savage Sword led me to the Conan stories and novels. Um, and so that's kind of where the two extremities of my fiction, heroic fiction, lie. There's like the gritty, bloody Hyborian age balanced with the idealistic golden glow of the Middle Age, you know, Middle Earth on the other yeah. end. But then I'm a huge Clark Ashton Smith fan too, so I like to throw some horror in there. And, I was uh, going to say that reading the couple stories you sent us, which I enjoyed, um, they did very much remind me of Clark Ashton Smith in a way, like I could feel it. So oh, it's in my DNA. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to the, the Weird Tales Big Three, Clark Ashton Smith, H.P. Lovecraft, and Howard, I always say Clark Ashton Smith is the one I have the most kinship with, the one I have the most identification with. When I first read his work, I was like nine, ten years old. But even at that age, I was like, this guy, I, I mean, I didn't realize that it was a guy who had been dead for 50, 60 years before I even read his work. But I, uh, or he had, he had only been dead 20 years, but his work that I was reading was, you know, from the 20s and 30s. Sure. 
So it's... looking for every bookstore I could find, I, I was looking for Clark Ashton Smith stuff and for, for years, you know, and it was sometimes hard to find it. Nowadays, luckily, there's a much bigger fan base around him. And ironically, I'm from Kentucky, but ironically, I now live about an hour away from Auburn, where he lived and wrote all of his stories and everything in a little cabin up there. So it's pretty is, cool. Is Clark Ashton Smith, did he have a character called Madrigal? Um, I'm not Ma- sure. Mad- Madrigal, the... the I, I only know because I, I wrote a story... Um, and in a review I read, they were like, clearly, you know, they're talking about the Clark Ashton Smith influences. And I was hmm. like, I never read that. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how that got there, but cool. I've before I've had people review my stuff and they're like, this guy, it's, this is like a video game. And I'm like, I've never played video games. I don't even care about yeah. video games. You know? Yeah, or maybe. Video game. Not to me. Yeah, it might have been like Jack Vance or something too, which uh-huh. I hadn't read until after I, I read the review and I was like, Oh, yeah, okay, that's kinda cool. Maybe it's just D and D influences or something, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it could be based on Jack Vance, basically. Jack yeah, there's Vance. a lot of Jack Vance in D and I mean prismatic spray or whatever it was uh the idea of naming spells and all yeah. that. Yeah. So yeah, if you're I, not if you're not into video games, this, I'm just curious about you. What are you what are you into? What are you besides writing? Obviously. Oh, uh, well, I'm a huge mu- I'm a huge fan of music, so I play guitar. I've always been into music. I kind of balance out my geekiness with my music, you know, or at least I used to. Sure. And now I'm just an old geek. Like, but what do you, what do you like uh, to play? I'm a teacher. I teach all the time, and that takes up most of my time. Of course, but, that's true. Um, I'm bluesy, hard rock type stuff. Nice. Who's um, your favorite metal band? Oh, geez, big question. Big, that's a hard question. Well, to or drop, drop, drop a few favorites. Monster Magnet is uh, one of my all-time ah, favorites. Oh, wow, okay, interesting. White Zombie, Rob Zombie. Um, I could keep going. Caius. I was just listening to some Caius before we got on here like tonight. Caius. That's particular era of music, right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's everything that sprang from the tree of Sabbath is basically. Yeah, you're okay. you're a doom metal guy. Yeah. Yeah, like, a little doomy. I found myself liking that. I'm friends with the guy who founded Conan, who's one of the best. Yeah, fans yeah. I know. Yeah. So I I have a, I have an affinity for doom metal as well. Um, a newer <laughs> band. I, I brought this up in our last podcast, <laughs> but I, I can't believe that I'm, I did had no intention to bring this up again. But because you're here, I think you're going to dig them. Check out the band Acid Mammoth. Like, oh yeah, yeah. You're familiar with them? I, like they have a really like old uh heavy slow sabbath sound and i i like i love it love it totally got me yeah they're a lot like conan in, in their approach yeah you know, really it's all it's you know i remember a time when metal was all about speed now it's all about slow it down yeah. you know and like trip your balls off while yeah. you're smoking a bomb you know it's like the whole stoner rock doom rock thing has kind of commer- combined into this huge mm-hmm. it's really cool underground scene that didn't exist when we had a music industry you know and mm. sometimes you hear these rock stars like gene simmons and and joe wall saying oh music is dead you know no it's not corporate music yeah. is dead but yeah they're still making real music and middle-aged people in europe especially where they have free health care they're all making they're all making bands and <laughs> canada or freaking canada and you know canada <laughs> gives you like grants and shit to form a band yeah. so <laughs> the rock, they do 
it's still alive and well. <laughs> every, <laughs> and, uh, but every every American band that I know who stays alive does it by touring in Europe. Mm-hmm. They tour and they tour Australia, and they make money. They come back here, they can't make shit. Right. You know? yeah, but America doesn't get metal in the same way that Europe does. The rest of the America world seems gets, to. America has giant festivals for five-fingered death punch. You go to Europe, you're having giant <laughs> festivals for awesome bands. Right. We have such a memory in this country. You know, Over there, they revere bands for generations. Yeah. Iron Maiden, yeah. like gods on earth. You yeah. know what I mean? And in South America too, Iron Maiden. Like yes, oh, yes, yeah. yes. My God, they're yeah. they're my all time band. Period. End of story. Iron Maiden. Albums for me are just fundamental to my soul, but I can't get into yeah. the older stuff. I've tried. I've tried. Mm-hmm. I think I just too old for it. I mean, I, I got too square for it, I guess. But <laughs> but there's no, first six albums, man. I always go back to those. You know, the fun fundamental core of it. I, I've got to say. I'm really, when it comes to that old school stuff, I'm really more of a Judas Priest guy than a. Oh, baby. man. Love Priest. Yeah, both of them, those were like the twin gods of rock, you mm-hmm. know? It's a Judas I, Priest behind me. More of the Priest oh, yeah. stuff resonates with me than like only six albums, maybe 10 albums of Priest, you know? But I still have albums of the Priest that I hate, too, you know? That, oh, that, I didn't like that album, but, you know, every album is going to be like that if they stick around long enough. I am always an advocate. Like, I mean, I, I really actually like Iron Maiden's modern stuff, but Judas Priest's last two albums were friggin' ripping. Like, if you've not listened to the last Priest album, it is awesome. I have lost interest when KK left, so maybe I should give him another. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a that's certainly a blow to the band, but I mean, they're still I don't know, still I, I they still put out good metal for sure. Speaking of which, I just. Uh, well, I mean, a couple months ago, read the Rob Halford biography. Well, you talk about a, a story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Leaves no stone unturned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Stuff I used to do as a kid, I was, I'm like, oh, that's what was going on. You know? <laughs> All that leather. <laughs> a picture of this yes. Guy. Yeah. Bike on my wall when I was 13. No idea. No, that's the thing. That's what, yeah. like, I think you and millions of others, like, that became a, a, a very, very cool look. And it was not what people thought, which is hilarious. No. At, at a time for a genre that's so macho and associated yeah. with certain things, yeah. it's the most subversive move to have one of the gods come out as, you know, yeah. gay. And, and a, a lot of people would be like, what? Yep. But <laughs> it, makes it, all the more, cool. it makes it all the more cool. Yep, yeah, yep. exactly. Hey, what, so um, you- what kind of axe do you sling? Oh, I got a new one uh, a few years back. Uh, I got this. Gretch. Here we go. Oh, oh wow. nice! Love it. A white falcon, but it's the more, it's the less expensive version of the white falcon. Sure, sure. But it's still probably best guitar I've ever owned. Mm. It's really good. it's cool. I love it. Back in the nineties, you know, I did the whole band thing. I had the. <laughs> I was part of the grunge thing. You know, it's like we would have the conversation at practice. Are we grunge? Are we grunge? I don't think we're grunge. We're not grunge. And our was in the conversation by going, we're grunge. <laughs> okay. So, so before we jump on to Logan's next piece, next piece of the outline, I got to ask you, who is the top, uh, and I'm putting air quotes, quote unquote, grunge band? For me, the best yeah. grunge band of the time? Yeah. I have to accept the term grunge, which yes, I will. Put I, the right. I and I'm, I'm not a fan either. I'm just, that's the air quotes. Soundgarden is thank you, be all end all for me. I mean, we agree. Slap five. 
Create Soundgarden. Yeah, I'll do Chains, but Alice in Chains was no Soundgarden. It's funny yeah. because Alice is way more famous than Soundgarden will ever be. You know, Alice in Chains is, has been given like a Judas Priest type status mm. by the younger generations. And I think it's because, you know, he died so young and he left such a yeah, powerful. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 And I mean, yeah. they can kind of keep. The other thing is, Lane Staley dying doesn't stop that band. Like, Jerry Cantrell was so much of that sound and if you had someone else who could sing those harmonies with them then you still got yourself a solid package that's a good point another thing yeah. people love about them is that they just wouldn't quit you know after yeah. lane and they thought they were dead a couple times and they just kept it going yeah and they yeah. put out good material i saw them live a few years back and they were good very good yeah i was surprised i heard the new singer and i'm like he's he's great yeah they, they sound great you know but some of those alice in chain songs man are so they were so with me at a certain time in my life Mm. I still feel the pain of those songs, man. And oh, yeah. Identify it with Lane and all that. And I can't listen to that, that one song, I Stay Away. It's mm -hmm. just a song. I can't listen to it. You know, it, it yeah. depressed the shit out of me. You know? <laughs> yeah, it yeah, it was it was grim, frankly. I mean, that was Lane dying, basically. Lane yeah. was documenting yeah. his own addiction and slow death, which everyone yeah. around him. If you read, I read Mark Lanigan's book, too, from Screaming Trees, another one of my all-time favorite bands. Oh, yeah. He yeah. was... Mark Lanigan, uh, Lane was, and for a while, all they did was sit around, you know, making crack and selling it in, in this yeah. park. Crazy. And this was after rock stars. And you get, I mean, yeah. if you read Lanigan's book, you understand that it doesn't matter shit if you're a rock star or not. If you get into heroin, you're doomed. Yeah, you're done. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Done. That's it. Doesn't matter who or what you are. Yep. You know? Down really, in a hole. <laughs> Seriously, and you know what? What's funny? A lot of those earlier albums, Lane didn't write the lyrics. Jerry wrote the lyrics. I, yeah, that's a common misconception, right? Yeah. You have to ask yourself sometimes: Did those lyrics and singing them every night have some kind of effect on Lane's outlook, where he thought, "I'm never going to escape this," and he mm. told multiple times, "You know, I'm not going to. This is. I'm not going to live through this." Mm. Like, you yeah. know, a lot of people do that in, in rock. You know, I heard one of the guys from Leonard Skinner had said, "Hey, I'm not going to grow old." You know, I'm not going to live very long. Killed his mom that or something. So, part part of it might just be the whole rock and roll. I think that the mentality, yeah, uh, for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, burn it up quick. Burn yep. out your fuse quick. You know? Yep. Yeah. Sad. It's sad, you know. Better to burn out than to fade away. I hope Mr. Young will remember a southern man doesn't need him around anyhow. <laughs> just kidding. I'm taking Neil Young's side every time. Why don't guys. Why don't we uh, Why don't we Yeah, you got to take Neil Young's side every time. Uh, why don't uh, why don't we throw another question out there, Logan? Yeah, I just I gotta say that as the only person here that's not a huge metal fan, this was still a very fascinating conversation. Um, the amount of things that I learned from just this, mm -hmm. um, I'm still gonna be thinking about it. So that was good. Um, but <laughs> anyway, John, you mentioned you are all. I guess you're you're primarily a novelist. Like writing yeah. full length novels, um, you have a couple. Um, I was not aware of your what is it? Seven princes, seven kings, seven sorcerers. Is that right? Yeah, I call it the Shaper trilogy, but most people call it the Sevens trilogy. Okay. Yeah. So sure, you know sure. Um, I did read. Okay, okay. Um, I did read Testament of Tall Eagle, which you self published, correct? Uh, well, I didn't really self-publish it. Um, a company called Ragnarok published it. Okay, then okay. They, then they bit the dust, and then Crossroad 
Crossroad took it over and Crossroad republished it and also the sequel, Son of Tully. So thanks for reading that. I love those yeah. books. They, they didn't get nearly amount, not even a fraction of the attention of my first trilogy because the trilogy was with Orbit, which is a division of Hachette. So that was an international release. That was like my first real book deal. And my, you know, after that, I did this in, this indie book, Tall Eagle, and then I really, I'm really kind of a glutton for punishment. So I did a sequel to the indie book. <laughs> That's how writers are. It's like, all right, I could try to sell a book that will that will get a major market, or I could do a sequel to this one that didn't make me any money. I think I'll do the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> That's you know, I, I gotta yeah. say. So, um, I came into Sword and Sorcery late. I was, um. I mean, I think I was probably, like, 24. Like, I didn't grow up with this stuff. Um, and I remember when I first got into Conan, and I was looking on the Blackgate website, and they had a review character on it. And at that point, I had never, ever seen anyone not writing, just like your standard, um, except for Elric, I suppose, your standard Conan Esque character, right? Um, and I was like, it's so cool. There's a Native American here. I hadn't seen Amaro yet. I hadn't discovered Amaro yet at the time. Um, so I read it. We write very different, um, but your character inspired me to create a Native American style sword and sorcery character um, cool. as well. So um, it's kind of weird for me to sit here and talk to you. Um, so I had to tell you that. Um, but. I can show that uh, for you um this something you might find interesting when I, everybody sees it and they know automatically they get it that he's a native american and even though his tribe is never named and was never named originally either originally he was from a, an actual tribe and i read this i read some history and i based, i wanted to base it on realistic facts you know mm -hmm. and how tribes used to live but publishers are so afraid to give you any leeway if you're not part of that group about mm. which you are writing. And so um, they didn't really initially didn't want to touch it. So I said, okay, well, if that's a problem, let me just re remove this one step and put it in a secondary world. Mm. And just, I'm going to get rid of all those names of actual tribe. I think there were maybe four or five actual tribes from history whose names were used in there, some of which still exist, some of which don't. And so I just replaced it with fantasy analogs. And it's the same exact book. It just doesn't have any names of any actually existing tribes. And I felt like that was the right thing to do because I'm not affiliated with any of those tribes. So it was the right thing for me not to use any of their names. And so I went with this, I went with a research-based approach, but it ended up being a total fantasy world. But it feels like the 1790s of our world, right? And then it intersects in later in the book with a, a world that is way different, a more alien world, like the fantasy world, right? But my initial idea for that was, you know, in the John Carter movies and, and stuff like that, Narnia, these people are always getting, you know, stumbling into this world of fantasy and becoming like heroes. Well, what about when the when the North America was settled and the the native tribes were being wiped out by disease and war? What if one tribe managed to escape and get into another reality where they could prosper? A world where there are, where there is magic, and a world where there are, you know, fey folk, and a world where there is typical fantasy type elements. Um, and so, 
that's a transition that happens in book one. By the end of the book, this 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 tribe that is in desperate danger of being annihilated ends up escaping into this what we would call fantasy land. But for them, it's it's just a new home, you know, a new mm -hmm. chance at life. So yeah, that I really am proud of those books, but I don't know if they'll ever see a large audience because of the fact that it does have that Native American flavor to it, and that doesn't seem to be very popular with people across the reading spectrum. I don't know why. I mean, I can't just write about fat white guys. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I, 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 that. Boy, what horrible stories I would write. What fantasy writers do is we take a melange of various cultures from history, and we mix them up and we play with them and we say, what if? And we create mm -hmm. a brand new world that somehow resembles or could have resembled our own through a lens darkly. And to yeah. me, that's, that's the fun. I mean, one time I thought about maybe I'll write historical fantasy or historical fiction. I've kind of rejected that because it's so much more fun to not be bound by the constructs of actual history and the constructs of actual, you know, cultures that you're not a part of. Easier be, too. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> If you're a fantasy writer, you definitely have to make up cultures. Yeah. You just have to. You can't yeah. have a fantasy world without a culture. But in order to do that, there's no other way to do it except to borrow from other cultures throughout the That's the only right. way. So it's a fine line, and you don't want to be someone who's saying that you're of, of a culture that you're not. You don't want to try to represent yourself of a culture that you're not. But you've got to have a flavor. And so many fantasies are just medieval flavor, medieval flavor, mm -hmm. medieval flavor. You've got yeah. to find other ways to approach it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I think I think what's going to happen is I think I think we're in a transitional period now too, where it's like um, we're coming past a point where there's this sort of post-colonial writing where you've got white guys writing about you know native experiences and people just kind of got rightfully so grossed out by it, right? Or or even just tales of you know. Um, even we're talking about, we were talking about Charles Saunders last time too. And it's like, he didn't want to write about a world where it's like, oh, it's all about the struggle. He wanted to, I mean, even as you were saying, right. To have something where these people are prospering. Right. But what I think is, I think is going to happen eventually. Cause right now society is quite sensitive. And I think we're, we're in a transitional period and we're learning. Um, I think in some ways what we can and can't do, but it does, it does open a question of like, I've heard a lot of writers, you know, uh, white male writers who are contemplating, like, I can't just write my experience, right? Yeah. A writer has to write uh, the experience of many. And I think at a certain point, we will be less sensitive w once the world has had more time respecting uh, certain approaches, trying different things. Eventually, we're going to get to a place where it's more okay for just about anyone to write about anything. Uh, yeah. You know, maybe it will, maybe it won't, but I, I feel like eventually that'll happen. I hope you're right. I was just thinking about this the other day. Um, take Marvel Comics, for example. Back in, the, back in the 50s, before Marvel Comics, you couldn't have a black and white superhero team, like a, a mm. black, one black and one white. And then um, Kirby came along in the 60s, and the Civil Rights Movement was changing things, opening doors mm. up big time. It was doing the first multiracial kiss in 1960, whatever, on Star mm -hmm. Trek. And Kirby said, Captain America needs the Falcon. He needs a, a black partner who can reflect the time period. And boy, did he. And so yeah. I grew up, and I'm so glad I did it. 
reading a comic where Cap's best friend was Sam Wilson. And now yeah. I'm seeing that same Sam Wilson, a different Sam Wilson, but he's really the same on these movies and kids are loving it. And I'm like, that makes me feel good about, about storytelling and about the direction that we're headed. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Inclusive and yeah. less exclusive, you know? Right. And it's funny too, because I mean, we're, we're also at a weird point where, you know, you've got two sides kind of uh, at each other's throats and it's like, you know, Marvel gets called, you know, too woke or their virtue signaling it's like dude the whole time they've been pushing a you know a, a, a right. inclusive idea it's like this is not new the x-men like what are we talking about the x-men is that it's okay to be different and yeah right you're you're okay you know it's but people have their own ideas what these comics mean you know it's like yeah just go on a comics movie board on, online and just no, no thanks <laughs> don't no thanks <laughs> <laughs> or don't exactly you're better off to just ignore what people say about it right yeah exactly anyway thanks for asking about tall eagle i wish those books had gotten yeah. more attention and maybe they will one day but i've the novel that i wrote last summer which my agent is still shopping around so it could end up anywhere or nowhere is a completely different flavor than anything before and I wanted to combine some of my other interests. Um, but uh, the less said about that, the better, because, it, you know, once it becomes an actual project, and I'll, I'll talk to you about it, but, uh, you know, sure, I always sure. like, what can I do new this time? What can I, what kind of take can I find this time for this novel that I didn't, you know, didn't explore last time? And I don't want to explore that. Um, I love medieval stories of knights and castles and things like that, but, I think we're just we're beyond that to a point where people expect more, and that's been done to death. You know, so if you're going to do it, you have to get a good, a really good twist on it. You know, you're you're preaching so, to our choir there, man. Yeah. We've yeah, remarked on yeah. that yeah. often. Yeah, yeah. it's time. Um, I mean, even even you know, whether it's other people, other voices, um, you know, other walks of life, even beyond that, just diffs, just a different skin on things, like a different approach. Um, that's just that's just good for for the whole genre, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah, exactly. So, um, well, I was gonna ask if you had any future projects, which you kind of alluded to, but um, I'm glad that you have future pro projects. Um, and we also what? kind of talked about, you know, we just, know oh, go ahead, go ahead, yeah. yeah. Um. So we also talked about kind of what we see in the future of sword and sorcery. So we hit that topic too. Um, do you have any other projects that you work are working on or currently working on? I know you mentioned uh, uh, horror stories. Um, I I believe you are involved in another rival podcast with Scott Odin and Jason Waltz. Is that correct? Yeah. What's up with that? Yeah. Uh, Waltz that's, and Odin that's jumping the real, ship. That's the real reason we brought you on is because we're yeah. Gonna, I didn't even gonna, know about this. We're gonna thin the herd right now. Yeah. No, this is an ambush. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's not, but it's funny. I, I when Logan told me, I was like, "Are you serious? What's <laughs> happening here?" <laughs> at the house what can i say i'm a rogue in the house tonight no <laughs> that's right you're here we did a podcast for dark worlds quarterly back when they were doing like a whole month of podcasts and uh it was fun we just talked about sword and sorcery and stuff like that and i'm amazed right now because you know i grew up loving sword and sorcery in its heyday in the 70s i, I was born in 69 started reading comics when i was four years old and i bought my first issue of savage sword when i was like eight years old you know, tits, gore, everything. So mm. 
Little mind was set and primed to become a fantasy writer. You know, I was reading Tolkien and Savage Sword <laughs> before I was in third grade. You know, so um, the, again, I kind of lost my my point there. But I wanted to say that I'm so amazed by this new renaissance in sword and sorcery that's happening on an indie level, and it's it's all indie. Yeah. Nobody, in, nobody at the mainstream level will touch sword and sorcery. They're too afraid of it. Yep. Yeah. But right now. There are tons and tons of indie publishers, and they keep popping up all over the place, with with either monthly, monthly periodicals that might be digital or print or print on demand, or maybe there's like a four times a year type uh, anthology, right? That that's coming out, and then you've got DMR and some other publishers, and it's just great to me because this is showing to me that there's a demand out there. People like the genre; they want to see it in all its forms. And eventually, when that keeps rolling along enough, big publishers start to interest, mm-hmm. start to get interested, and they say, "What people are making money selling that stuff yeah. with swords?" And, and then they ruin you know, it. That's how it works. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then they ruin it. It goes back down, and we have to reset the whole thing. <laughs> and that's, that's the same model for the music industry, right? Yep, exactly. <laughs> but what's underground, and all the uh, record companies are in hibernation mode, waiting for the next person they can exploit and, yep. and rip off you know but it yeah. doesn't work anymore you know and it's it's the thing that i find is really interesting about this sword and sorcery renaissance is that it's um you've got these established characters such as yourself and you know you've uh like daryl schweitzer um like I, I end up in an issue of weird book with with certain with heavyweights of this genre and i'm just this <laughs> i feel like a total imposter but it's like you've got veterans and up and comers and they're all kind of playing in the same pool you know um getting to know each other and over social media um you know being published in the same magazines but there's a real sense of community which you know maybe you'll yeah maybe you'll get that with uh, you know wider or, or bigger genres or publications but i don't really see that and i think uh it's it's an interesting time, and I remember even I've kind of had my ear to the ground on um, the social media discourse of it for like the last I don't know almost ten years. But it really does seem that like right now it's really kind of um, popping off in in a good way. So it'd be very interesting to see where it goes. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully, with uh, Conan on Netflix, hopefully that'll be a good show, and it'll bring even more attention to the genre and it's funny though because you're mentioning how it's starting to become a community that's mm. really cool in these in these day these this day and age when we're mm. all so fragmented, not only isolated physically but also politically fragmented yeah. i see people together who wouldn't normally associate each with each other because of political differences but they love the same kind of sword and sorcery adventure type fiction and so we're putting that shit that bullshit aside and mm. coming together focusing on what we love which is a good tale well told you know and that's yeah inspiring to me in these dark times you know uh, let's forget the politics and tell some great stories and just don't be an asshole you know that's the new rule i guess yeah <laughs> yeah yeah those are the golden rules and i mean that that's the thing right social media kind of begets some of that political divide like you're saying but we can also help counterbalance it by just really kind of leaning into our interests and sharing that, right? Blood and thunder bringing people together. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So, um, I actually, we've gone through quite a bit of what I put on the outline, and we've gone through even more because I did not put a music section in this outline. Um, <laughs> but, um, let's see here. So, well, I, got, I, got, um, I got a question that it is yeah, on the outline, but I'm just going to pick it out. So, we have all types of listeners. Um, if you were to give some advice to budding authors slash novelists, what would it be? Oh, it'd have to be the number one thing is just persistence, man. It's, mm. it's persistence. And yeah. anyone who gives you an answer other than persistence is bullshitting you. Because <laughs> you have to keep rolling forward. And you have to do what you love. And if you don't love it, don't do it. And it's not. It's, if you don't love it, don't do it. It's okay. In other words, if you want to write, write. And write the things you love. Um I was a little down when I didn't get another huge book contract after my first book contract, my first trilogy. I was like wanting to jump onto the next big trilogy. Well, that's still in my future. But I was a little down until I realized I had an epiphany thanks to a friend of mine who told me, you're in a great position because you don't have to rely on what you write to make a living because I'm a teacher yeah. that I love. And I realized, oh my God, I've been stupid. And the blinders fell off and I was like, I can write whatever the hell I want to write, and I don't care if it sells a million copies or two copies. I can I can artistically express myself the way I want to, in the way that I love, and that's what it's all about. And usually, when you do that, you find fans, you find people who mm. appreciate that. And, right. You know, it's not going to be the flavor of the day, but who wants to be the flavor of the day? I'd rather be the flavor of the of the century, or you know, I'd rather be the guy that is so cool you don't really know who the hell he is until your friend. <laughs> You got to read this shit, man. Right. You know, I'm changing the way I looked at things. When you first get a book contract, your your eyes get all starry eyed, and you're like, "Wow, this could be a real big life changing event." And about five years later, you realize it was kind of a life changing event, but not really. I mean, life is pretty much the same. And I asked my agent, I said, "Shouldn't this get easier?" You know, when you go back to get your second book deal, shouldn't this get easier? And he said, "It never gets easier until you have a breakout hit." Yeah. You have a best-selling book, bam, your life gets easier, right? You have a, a movie adaptation that makes you household name, bam, your life gets easier. But outside of that, 99.9% .9 of writers these days have day jobs. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the trick is to think of that as a strength, not a weakness. Yes. Right? That's so you can write what you want, which is how the genre will improve when yeah. we keep writing what we want, you know? Yeah, you said a lot there that really spoke to me. It's like... I'm I teach as well um, and the idea for me it's like yeah the persistence message it's like because I have a day job I can I've been spending my time yeah I don't know maybe five years I've been at it trying to actually become decent at writing it's like I look at it as I'm gonna take this time and learn how to friggin do this and every yeah. little success I have on the way is awesome and I don't have to worry about being successful I just need to hit the little milestones I want, get better as I go, um, keep the day job. But it, here's the other thing I want to say is that if you have ever had someone pay for your work, right, whether it's a bigger book deal or whatever it is, you've been successful to a point. And you got to kind of ride that high that someone has been willing to pay you for the work that you're doing. Um, and realize that there are a thousand people lined up behind you who would kill to be in that position. Mm -hmm. cool. So as much as you might have the second book blues or 
something might fall through. There are all kinds of writers who are immensely unsatisfied with what they're doing. And I'm like, God, I wish I had managed that. It goes for all arts, too. Yeah, I mean, really you're does. really speaking about everything because whether you're yeah. a musician, an artist, a writer, uh, <laughs> pottery, you know, <laughs> whatever, whatever you do, I mean, yeah. it's you got You got to stick with it if you love it, right? Yeah, it's all it's a pers- keeping maintaining a perspective about it is is huge yeah. and and having a joy with it. I mean, if you're not enjoying it, then what the hell are you doing? I guess. Yeah, I mean, some people have said to me before, oh, I don't like writing. I like the idea of having written. Yeah. <laughs> I thought to myself, you're not going to make it as a writer. Yeah. If you don't love the process of sitting your ass in a chair and writing shit, then you're not going to make it as a writer. And yeah. sometimes I don't want to do that. Sometimes the last thing in the world I could do is write. And that's perfectly okay. This idea that you have to write every day to be a writer is bullshit. And I'm not the only one who thinks that way. I've talked to Laird Barron, one of my favorite writers. Oh, I love Laird Barron. Barron is amazing. And he agrees. It's right when you feel the need to write. Yeah. And if you're, if you're a professional, you will have to write every day. You're going to have to log in your four hours a day or whatever, like Stephen King does. Yeah. Go around with your radar on, picking out influences, and get let life inspire you, and then you yeah. will have something to write about. So I always tell people, if you're blocked or if you're not feeling creative, that's part of your whole process. Mm-hmm. Not writing, it's part of the writing process. And this sounds like bullshit to like wives and girlfriends. And people, <laughs> they're like, oh, right, you're watching that movie the fourth time and that's you're telling me you're working? Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm looking at the plot line, you know, I'm, look, I'm, I'm getting inspired, dear, you know, but it's easier if you're divorced and lonely like me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> listen, do you know how satisfying it is to get projects based on IPs and I get to say, yeah, no, I'm watching Terminator for homework. <laughs> it's the most it's the most immensely satisfying thing in the world. So it's another why I quit writing short stories because you write one short story, you might send it to 12 different publications and get rejected every time. Even though it's a perfectly good short story, it just mm. doesn't fit. Or, yeah. you know, it, and if you do get if you do get a short story in, it's really low pay usually because the real yeah. high paying markets they want stuff that's so literary they're not going to take a chance on on the kind of stuff that i'm interested in and and then you have to wait a a year or two for it to show up in print sometimes you don't get paid until that happens and so i realized why am i killing myself writing all these short stories when what i really enjoy doing more is creating this big tapestry i like writing epics i like writing and that's what a novel is basically you know and so i just realized when i turned 50 it's time to really focus in and stop farting around with short stories and really get my body of novels. Right now, if I die tomorrow, they would say author of five novels, maybe, if they said anything at all. But by the time I'm 70, I want there to be like 30 novels, you know. I want, And, and that, that doesn't mean I won't get tired of it. Maybe in five years from now, I'll be like, oh, I got nothing else to say. I don't want to write it. But as long as I feel like writing, I'm going to keep writing. And and it's good. It's a good thing that you know you can always go to the indie publishing route if you don't. Yeah. If you don't get a mainstream publisher interested, Jack Kerouac wrote, wrote ten novels before his first one got published, and he wasn't even writing Sword and Sorcery. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I, he was not. <laughs> I take inspiration from the new resurgence of Sword and Sorcery, and I don't. I've never really considered what I write Sword and Sorcery, but it is definitely inspired by and flavored mm. by that. I like to elevate. Well, I like to go to genres and elevate them. Although some people might laugh at me for thinking what I write is elevated in, in any way. I think it is. 
Well, whether it is or whether it is, even if it's just your angle on a thing, right? Like, it, yeah. it, you know, I mean, in some cases, that's just a matter of how you define it. But for me, that's, uh, yeah, I, I, I want to see people bring different things, mix different ingredients in there. That's what's going to keep it fresh. And that's how you end up creating new things, too, is, is really, yeah. What's yeah. your, uh, what's your go-to, your, your mainstay for inspiration? Like when you're, when you're feeling a little dried out, is it, uh, music? And if so, what is it a movie? If so, what is it a book you go back to? I think really it's just revisiting things that I really love and appreciate mm. whether it's a particular comic book series that I've always loved or a short story that's always amazed me. I go back, I keep a heart book, Clark Ashton Smith volume, uh, handy. And I like to dip into Clark's, uh, repertoire and Tanith Lee. Tanith Lee is another storyteller to me was an absolute treasure. Mm. Uh, um, to be honest, I, I read Daryl's stuff uh, a lot too, uh, but I'm mostly known as uh, one of Daryl's longtime friends. So I try not to talk about him every time I do a podcast. But I <laughs> am an amazing writer and deserves more credit for his for his writing. Um, Lord Dunsany, Dunsany is another thing I can just I, I can read Dunsany story and be charged for a month. You know, God, that was good. You know. Hmm. So, Dunsany is amazing. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's a movie. Like, I, I have this um, special obsession with Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Not the first movie, the actual really good one, but the second one, the first cheesy sequel, which I saw in the theater when I was about seven years old. So, it's like, watching that just blows the doors off my mind for sure. me. Watching Justin ride a horse through the desert on a horse with no name, you know, with that girl on the back, I'm like, adventure is calling. You yeah. know, it's like, all of adventure. And speaking of that, the Conan 1982 movie is something yeah. that I go Yeah, 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 for sure. Love it. Matt, Matt Love likes it. that movie a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I remember when the movie came out. I was 12, so I had to get my mom to buy the ticket because it was a rated R movie. And yeah. it was really, they shouldn't have let me in, man. I mean, it was orgies. It was, it was, it was uh, Snake Man, Naked Boots, Blood. The was, of Steel. Was, people say that movie... I, I hate it when people criticize that movie for not being Robert E. Howard's Conan, and because uh, I'm like, you, you haven't paid attention. It was Robert E. Howard's world. Yes. And, and yes. Of his Conan, but it was definitely his world. It was yes. definitely. And they made a good decision. People say, "Oh, he never talks." That was a good thing. You know, you didn't want <laughs> this bodybuilder spouting off Shakespearean lines. You know, so one of the things that makes the movie a classic for me is Arnold doesn't say much. You know, Conan is a man of few words. What do you, Strong silent, you know. What do you think, guys? Did he pass the test? I think he passed the test. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he the test. It's almost like he watched our episode on that and was just like speaking our language. Yeah. yeah, totally, man. Yeah, you echoed a lot of our thoughts on that. On that. Um, you know what that just made me? Right? The ones that like the Arnold movie and the ones that don't like the Arnold movie. Yeah. You know? So I just had a light bulb. I, I got... Go I gotta do my do my Arnold impression reading uh, verbatim Robert E. Howard Conan dialogue. Yes, like how have I never done that? We'll have to record it. I mean, for All posterity, right. next time around. Keep going with keep going with the show. I'll see if I can pop something on at the end. There. Well, why don't we do it? Why don't we save it for another episode? <laughs> we'll start it with uh, another episode. I, That's I, how we'll get people to come to the next episode. In, in the next yeah. episode, Matt reads. 
slightly um, back circling around, uh, you did send us a couple stories, um, and you mentioned Lord Dunsany, and yep. the one, uh, the first one you sent was, I think it's Chevain. is that how you say that? Yeah, Chevain. Um, mm. It reminded me a lot of the Sword of Wellerin. Oh, thank like, you. Yeah, which is a, a, you know, a very popular Lord Dunsany story, and I think on occasion it gets thrown around as like a precursor to Sword and Sorcery. Um, yeah. But it kind of had that, like... Grandfather. Dunsanian heroic feel, I thought. So, good Thank on you. you. <laughs> it was definitely more Dunsanian than some of the others. And that, that was a great story. It's one of my favorite stories. It's why I wanted to lead the volume with it. Because after I had written this huge, epic novel, I just needed to clear my head. And I'd been working on this novel for months, and it was finally done. And, and I, you know, my powers were at their peak. At least that's how I felt. I had, like, the iron fist, you know, buzzing in both my hands. So I, I channeled it into Chevain, and I wrote that story in, in, like, one sitting. One or two sittings, I can't remember. Two at the most. And I thought, this is so great. I love what I've just created here. <laughs> and it's the kind of story people read, and they go, it's really kind of an old-fashioned way to tell a story. You know, they don't tell yeah, they don't yeah. that anymore, but apparently they do. And some people hate that. Some people love it. That's why I, I wanted the next story to be a more traditionally told tale, which could have been told in the same way as Chevain. Sure. I wanted Chevain to be a whispered legend, you know, that you would tell. I wanted it to sound like somebody across the firelight was telling you the story. You know? Yeah. So uh, I just wanted to say from my observations of reading that um, it looked, it, it felt like, as you say, but also with a, with more clean, modern prose. Um, mm. y you know, because some of these, you dig into these old volumes and there's some, I don't know, a bit of an antiquated approach. Not to say there's anything, it's not, well, they're it's older. not bad. They're it's old. not you. Exactly. They're but, old, so they're into, you know, they have that feel. Well, yeah, literally, literally. Yeah, yeah literally old. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, literally old, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, anymore and stuff. Yeah, but I'm not a fan of, like, sentence-long paragraphs strung together by semicolons, you know? And you, you're going to encounter that with a lot of old stuff. I, I, I like I like rhythm is important to me, um, and I don't care how cool your concepts are. If I don't enjoy the flavor, the taste buds tingling at that prose, I don't want to read it. I'm and, the and same it, way. I'm pretty hard yeah. on people. Who, you know, um, I don't know if that makes me a stylist or an anti-stylist or what, but style means a lot to me when it comes, especially fantasy. You know, if I'm reading a war tale or something, I don't really care about the style. But when I read fantasy, I'm looking for a certain type of timeless style, timelessness in the style. And mm -hmm. people I've found don't like that either. They want their fantasy book, even their big giant doorstopper fantasies written in modern language. Don't give me any of those old words, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's like, open your mind a little bit, you know. Challenge yourself. <laughs> mm -hmm. I promise to smother you in ancient language if you... We'll take a few drops of the medicine, you know. Yeah, pe pepper it in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So one thing I've learned about it is the the style or language in which you write the story can be alienating, or it can be invigorating, depending Engaging. on who reads. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. We are uh, basically at about an hour and a half, so we should start to come in for landing. I think. Um, why don't yeah, we, yeah. John? Why don't I can we? Mention I was going to say, why don't you take why don't you take a moment to gi give us everything the brain dump that you have 
and, and okay. give yourself that plug and everything else. Okay, well, Worlds Beyond Worlds uh, comes out on April 5th from DMR. It's got 11 stories from Weird Book, Shattered Shields, Skelos, Space and Time, Way of the Wizard, Hyperborea, The Audient Void, Monk Punk, and Forbidden Futures. So there's about eight, eight different venues, 11 different stories there. Uh, a, wide array, a wide array of things that aren't really up in the mainstream. So hopefully a lot of good stuff that you missed because these are such indie publications. And it's got that great uh, Brian LeBlanc cover, which everybody keeps telling me, oh, God, I love the cover. It's great. And that's a scene from Chevain too. Brian, Brian took and read the first story and came up with that scene, that one particular scene, because I never would have said, hey, put a severed head on the cover. You know, I, I would have never said that. <laughs> really spoke to, to Brian, and so he captured it so very well, where Chevain is presenting the head to the, the witch who has summoned him. Um, so basically, if you like sword and sorcery, if you like adventure, dark fantasy, weird stuff, you will dig Worlds Beyond Worlds. And hopefully I'll get another novel out there before too much longer. But for right now, it's all about looking back and saying, hey, I'm glad I wrote so many good stories. Let me get them out there, you know, for posterity. And, um, I do have about, the thing about, the thing about it is when you quit writing short stories, you always have a few that are linger, that, that are, I have about four or five more stories at Weird Book that are going to come out eventually. But Weird Book is, they might come out once or twice a year or not. So there's no telling when those are going to come out. So eventually, I'll probably My very first oh. accepted story. Yeah. As yeah my very first accepted story is from Weird Book. It's still coming out. <laughs> yeah. Lo Logan and I are both waiting on new Weird Books uh, to publish. Yeah. Uh, they were coming out like four times a year for a while there when, when Doug first yeah. re resurrected Weird Book. Um, but it's really slowed down to about one or two a year. And I don't know. I don't know why. But, you know, it's really just up to Wildside Press, I think. And I'm sure the pandemic has yeah. something to do with it. You know, everything's down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But those are a few more stories that are coming out. Can we, so, can we um, talk about Monk Punk, please? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Andrew French was the brainchild, I believe. It was a series. Not a series. It was an anthology all different monk related stories. <laughs> That's and, awesome. Yeah. I love it. I love it. We have a we have a running we have a running monk punchline uh, on this oh, really? podcast. Yeah. 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 A uh, long time ago I played a D and D session where a guy was a monk and it was a terrible experience for me and it tainted my <laughs> view of monks entirely. Right, um, right. So it's like a running gag, and, and it has come up pretty much every podcast. And this time yeah, we yeah. didn't even say it, <laughs> and then you brought yeah. up monk punk, so yeah. we just needed to hear oh. a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a fan of the original Kung Fu, mm. uh, David Carradine. Mm -hmm. uh, grew up watching that, and I have all the DVDs, and I've watched it like two or three times. But I wanted to do a story that would um, kind of have kind of a character, you know, that wandering monk kind of peaceful warrior type. Sure. So I wrote the story, and then John O'Neill at Blackgate said, "This is just like Kung Fu, dude." You know, <laughs> I was like, "That's exactly what you don't want to hear." And I was like, "Yeah, that's the point of it." But it wasn't really just like Kung Fu. It was really more of a sword and sorcery take on that. But later, when Monk Punk came along, I'm like, "Okay, this is perfect for that," and it turned out to be. Yeah. It's in there, and it's it's also set in the same world as as two of the other stories in this collection, but you'll never know because it's in a whole other like side of the globe kind of thing. Sure. 
So anyway, you, guys, I wanted to say thanks for having me. Uh, I know we're running out of time here, but I really appreciate it. It's been a blast. We've loved yeah, having no. you. Is, <laughs> yeah, this has been awesome. Is there, yeah, it's been good. Is there anything else that you want to plug while you're here? I just hope a lot of people buy Worlds Beyond Worlds and buy copies for their cousins and brothers and sisters and you know buy 10 copies for the future and uh yes things of this nature that's right and things of that nature that's right and you know <laughs> i will definitely have, have, hard to have this out by before before the fifth so everyone who listens knows that it comes out the fifth um i make that promise to you <laughs> bmrbooks.com right. awesome everyone i hope you really enjoyed the show this was a lot of fun for us uh, it was great. Man. John, thank you so much for being on. Worlds Beyond Worlds. Go get it. Get a copy. Get a copy for your cousin. Get a copy for your cousin's cousin. Matt, and if you ahead. do not listen, then to hell with you. That's right. Exactly. Very nice. Very nice. All right. And may that's your yeah, that's right. And here we, and as we say here, and may your swords always remain sharp.